TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Careers Unplugged, the weekly show connecting you to secrets of career success. Careers Unplugged is hosted by Rich Sayer and Stu Hayes and proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program. If you feel being happy, committed and passionate about your career is important, you're in the right place. My name's Rich Sayer and I'm here with the fabulous co-founder of Careers Unplugged, Make a Big Training and the Master of Me coaching program, Stuart Hayes. Stewie, how are you this afternoon? Afternoon. Rich, uh, I'm fantastic. It's been a great day. I'm really looking forward to, um, well, it's great to be here in the studio now and I'm looking forward to this call. There's no question. How's things with you? I had a very late lunch after uh, just having a massively productive morning <laughs> and uh, squeezed in some uh, squeezed in some, some lunch just now and um, ready to, to uh, speak to an amazing guest. Well, uh, shall I introduce our guest, Rich? Absolutely. In fact, I've got to say, mate, I don't even know where to begin in introducing our guest to some degree. Suffice to say that it's one of the great privileges of hosting this show to have the opportunity to talk to someone who's had the impact on humanity in the way that our guest today has. Mm. Um, Not to mention that he's an expert in the art of transformation and transforming lives and transforming business, even transforming himself. This guy has been at named as the godfather of business. He's the teacher of almost every major business teacher of our time. Uh, you know, names like Tony Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki, Jack Canfield, Harv Eker, just to name a few. Check this out. This guest, this guy today, has been called an evolutionary event in our time by the legendary industrialist and thinker Bucky Fuller. Bucky, Bucky Fuller. Fuller. Indeed. Um, who he studied under for a decade before spending almost as much time with W. Edwards Deming, who was a guy described as one of the nine hidden turning points of all history. Where do you go from that, Rich? Well, you can only come onto Careers Unplugged, I'd reckon, Stu. (laughs) Well, indeed, my friend. Uh, And with that theme in mind, it is my great, great pleasure to welcome to Careers Unplugged Attorney, real estate developer, businessman, educator, inventor, author, visionary, public speaker, and a guy who never fitted in at high school, Marshall Thurber. Thanks for joining us on the show, Marshall. Let's go. What do you want to know? How can I support you? (laughs) Well, Marshall, uh, let's talk about the early days. What What was your first job? Well, I started as a, you know, very young, I don't know, I was probably eight, nine years old, and I had a paper route. I used to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning in Vermont, and uh, I had the largest paper route in my city. And when I stopped, they divided it up into three people because it was too much for the average paper boy. So uh, I would get up at 4.30 in the morning and walk five and a half miles and deliver papers. I had 500 and something papers, but in Vermont and where I lived, they're a long way apart. The the paper route was a long route, a little over five and a half miles. And I, well, I started a newspaper called The Resorter. Went for, it's still going, actually. But I created a little newspaper while I was in high school. And that, uh, while I was in high school, uh, the paper became so successful that you know I was making. My dad was making. I think the most he ever made was eleven thousand dollars a year, and I was making about thirty something thousand a year with my newspaper while I was in school. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, so where did well, you go from there? Did you- well, basically, I didn't like school, and I got thrown out a lot of times. I was uh, pretty much into making school wrong and making the teachers even more wrong. 
And of course, that strategy is not a very successful one if you're trying to get along in school. So, uh, I, you know, I didn't do well in school and I skipped a lot of it and got thrown out of a lot of it. And the only reason I got into college was the Ford Foundation had a special program for non-achievers. And there were 50 of us selected throughout the United States with the highest board scores and the lowest grades. And I was one of the 50. And, and when I got that little letter in the mail, I was sure that one of my friends had stolen some stationary and that that was just a joke but it turned out to be real and so as you came out of sort of high school age you've got the paper what were your goals at that time let's say between the age of you know 20 and 25 years old what sort of goals did you have around your career at that time in your life well i think one of the real keys is to be the biggest fish in the smallest pond in other words be you know you grow your self-concept has to stay uh, strong all the way through and I, the new book out by a relatively new book out, it's called David and Goliath. Mm. And, and in that book, he talks about that he compares a small college in upper state New York with uh, Brown or with Harvard University, it was, and basically pointed out that the kids at the, that went to Hartwood College in upper state New York, the top end had basically the same level of success as the uh, top end at Harvard in terms of percentages, yet the their board scores were at the bottom end. In other words, the top students at hard work were in the bottom third uh, at Harvard, yet their performance rate was like the top ones at Harvard. And he pointed out that that if you're very, very smart, that you, you want to go to a school that's going to allow you to be in the top third of the class so you can excel. And if you go to a school that's like Brown or Harvard, where there's everybody so bright, you might be in the bottom half. Mm. Mm. And and so what I really got to see was your self-concept really is, is the the cohort group that you use basically is is this, the ones you surround yourself with. So that the children that are the young students at Harvard in the bottom third behave much like the students at Hartwick in the bottom third, yet they were as bright as the top third at, Harvard, at, at Hartwick. So if you d don't try to go to the best school unless you think you're going to be in the top third uh, – most people think you want to get to the best school, but what I want you to do is be where you can control the uh, context and be in the top part of it. And, and all the way along, what I've done is maybe started in a, in, definitely started where um, I was able to excel in the cohort of, or the group that I was with, you know, not try to do, you know, not try to be at the best school, although I did go to a very, very good school. It was called Union College, and it's in upper state New York, and the top, the entire school, the, not, over 90% of the kids were in the top 2% of their high school class, so they're very bright. Mm. And that was a very tough uh, road when I realized that I was up against kids who had gone to a private education and had a lot more experience and it took me a couple of years to really uh, get to the top of that class. And, and, and it really was very, very uh, difficult. And I, if I were to do it over again, I wouldn't have gone to that tough a school. Are, are you and naturally... Then I went out to a competitive person. I mean, you you get dropped into an environment, and you you seem to be navigating towards wanting to get to the top of the class. Uh, you know, I don't like to be anywhere but there, but I don't think that's a good idea. If you haven't read, if you've read Richard Cohn's uh, a, a, a Cohn's book, his name's Alfie Cohn, K-O-H-N. He wrote a book called Punished by Rewards, and he also wrote a book called No Contest. And when I read those books, especially No Contest, which was the one I read first, uh, he points out there's a direct correlation with low self-esteem and competitiveness. 
and having been very competitive up to that point, uh, I, you know, I didn't like what I read, but the research and in his theories and everything was so solid. My mind said that, you know, that, um, Alfie Cohn had to be a wimpy type of guy. And mm. when I got to meet the guy, he was very wimpy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the truth of the fact is, he was right. You know, it, it, the competition is not the space, uh, and it isn't the space that the universe is working. Cooperation is that. And, and, and you're going to be far more successful. I did a whole study on the patents that have been issued in the last, you know, decades. And, and it's om- almost always a com- cooperative, not a competitive uh, way to play. In fact, the planet's trying to cooperate globally right now by integrating it. And so going it alone is really not the, the strategy mm. that's going to optimize your op- opportunity to be successful. So if I were going to give you the first rule, number one is uh, not go it alone. Get you a team of aligned values, set your ground rules and get them very clear. You're going to have a much higher probability of, of, of it very, very successful. The, Marshall, the, the first point you made before about going to a school and being in that top third, and you mentioned self-concept, so for, for the listeners that don't understand that term, it's, it's a combination of uh, self-esteem and uh, um, how would you describe it, just for the listeners? Well, the whole idea is that you start to behave like the expectations of the group you're in, and if you're at the top of the group, you're going to behave a certain way, and if you're in the bottom of the group, you're going to behave another way, and it has a tremendous effect psychologically on yourself. And so you want to get with the group where you're going to be the top. Um, and Matthew Heskin, who's Melanie's husband, you know, he was in race cars. And, you know, he had his own car funding it himself against really great competition. And while he was a great uh, driver and still is, that when he did the second tier, he was always in the one or two. Mm-hmm. And when he got up to where they have, you know, teams and, and lots and lots of money, he would come in fifth or sixth, and he found that it was far more gratifying to be in the second group tier of quality and be at the top, that his self-esteem was stronger, his confidence was level was stronger, and it was basically dealing with the cohort of people you hang out with. Now, as you get to the top, you're going to find you get complacent and tired. You want to move to the next one where you're not the top, but you're, you know, have a good shot of being in the top third. So mm. the idea is to manage yourself. Concept is don't take, don't go to Harvard if you think you're going to be in the bottom third. Go to a school where you're going to be in the top third. Your probability of success is greatly enhanced because mm. your self-esteem is going to be way higher. So managing your self-concept along the way consciously is is really one of the secrets. You've been a great teacher of of of, of many iconic. Uh, trainers and teachers. Um, you, in the introduction, Stu mentioned uh, Bucky Fuller and and uh, W. Edwards Deming. What influence did these teachers have on you in the early days and and uh, and your career path? Basically, Buckminster Fuller was, without a doubt, would be I think the most important uh, teacher in the 20th century. Although Deming gets more credit because it's more obvious right now. But I remember reading. Uh, in the early 60s, a book that he wrote in the 1930s called Nine Chains to the Moon. Uh, and at that point, I, I just was struck by the, the unique approach that he had to thinking and the way he was thinking. I had just uh, started a real estate company uh, while I was going to law school in, in Cal, in the, uh, California, University of California. And, it, you know, it just was kind of boring. So I was really doing that because I was against the Vietnam War and I wanted to be a someone who could help bring the war 
to an end. And so while I was going to law school, which was not very exciting, I took a lot of courses and, and then I ran into to Buckminster Fuller. So my real estate development was uh, building and renovating uh, Victorians in San Francisco. And in about three and a half years, we did 150, I think it was 156. And, you know, I became a multi multimillionaire and my two partners did too. And so, and we did it with all sort of new age concepts and, and basically based on Buckminster Fuller. And one of the concepts in there is that sharing is having more. Now he was talking about that in the thirties and it's now really a fact of life and very easy to see now that we're converging and the sharing and have, is having more is a critical um, the dimension to su rapid success is, is to not go it alone. Sharing is having more and don't try to hold on to anything because it's, it's okay for people to copy you. If they're copying you, they're behind you. Mm. So you just have to stay out ahead. And so, you know, basically, Bucky, I, while I had just made all this money, I decided I'd follow him around. And I started following him around. And wherever he was in the United States, I just booked the flight and got, got there. And then eventually we became friends. He noticed that I was in all his classes. And then we started, we started a business school. And Bucky was the key uh, person there. Although he wasn't really a business person, his concepts of convergence and divergence and his whole idea of, of a view of the world and earth, et cetera, uh, it was just fantastic. I mean, without a doubt, the best mind I ever, ever met. Deming came later, and Deming really is the guy who went to Japan and taught them about statistical processes hmm. and, and basically was able to make the invisible visible by collecting data properly. People thought at the time that he, he was teaching American uh, business, but he had really learned his little limited business experience at Bell Labs where he was working on the instrumentation of the airplanes during World War II. A lot of planes were going down because the instruments were sticking and while we could repair and get new airplanes fast, it was much more difficult to get top flying pilots so mm -hmm. they knew that we needed to fix it. So they, they did fix it and uh, they got the highest award you can get in uh, the United States during the war effort for civilians, and, and that was at Bell Labs. And the guy who was there when he got the award at, in, at the White House was a guy named uh, MacArthur. And then MacArthur went over to uh, Japan, and he and, and he was while he was there, he brought Deming over to do the census. And so when the Japanese wanted to know about American business, they asked uh, MacArthur who to get. And since Ed Deming was there. He said, well, Ed knows a little bit about business because what he did at Bell Labs. Now, the truth of the matter, he knew very little about business. What he understood was statistical process, which we came from the theory. We came from a guy named Schuhart. And what he did is basically show them how to build a quality product. And what happened for me was that I had a Ford truck, and one of my friends had, brought a, had bought a Toyota truck. When I got into the Toyota truck and compared it to my Ford truck, I said, we're in trouble because this Toyota truck was way better. <laughs> and so then I, so, so I started studying Japanese. And as I started studying Japanese, I found out that their quality movement was spearheaded theoretically and, and, and spiritually by a guy named Deming. Found out he was still alive and he was in Washington, D.C. So I stopped studying Japanese and went to study with Dr. Deming and, and learned a tremendous amount from Deming. So my background is really a mashup of, of Deming my mashup of, 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 you know, dealing with Fuller and, of course, some consciousness along the way. I took the S training. I took a few things early, early on. So 
I mean, it's in, it's interesting to hear you talk about that. It's fascinating to hear you talk about that. To be honest, Marshall. Um, I mean, I only really know of these guys from um, from reading about them. You know, years later. Was there were there specific turning points that happened for you at the time? I mean, you sort of seem to just gradually move into this um, exposure to a fuller, and then you know, going around. But did something happen where you sort of snapped into you know you had a realization or something like that? Well, I think you have to look at goals. Goals are the real objective. Of a goal is not to get the goal. The real objective of a goal is to keep you in motion. Because one of the generalized principles that Bucky talked about is called precession, which is always at 90 degrees of the direction you're going. And the only reason precession works, okay, is you have to be in motion. So a goal is not set up to get there. A goal is get you in motion. And I don't know if you've had the experience, but many, many times I've headed for something in the really where I'm going is 90 degrees in the direction of the flight path, yeah. and, and, and the goal is what's moving. So the key is to stay in motion. And so what I have done is is to follow Bucky's idea of staying in motion and and watching for the procession. If it feels right, then, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I move in that direction. I don't worry about getting to the goal. If, if the thing is coming is, is stronger in my attraction, I, I just move off of the goal and move to the next thing. Getting the goal is not really what it is. In fact, for me, getting the goal is just minor compared to the processional events that happen as I go along the way. So, for instance, uh, in layman terms, you could say uh, my um, my goal is to achieve certain amount of uh, of of economic return for effort. So, I, for for many of the listeners, you know, um, I, I want to have a wage or a salary of X by a certain date and they work towards that uh, and apply themselves with best physical and mental effort in achieving that goal and what you're saying is is that the goal in itself becomes irrelevant because it, through the effort um, they achieve other things. And, and, yes, and, and, I, and I don't want to get a salary or, or what you really need to do, at least for me, is you have to go where you know, be of service, and you really want to set up your own uh, context. So I'm not really a guy who, unless you own the company or or have a high level of uh, functioning in it, it's probably not the optimal place. Mm. Because what you want to do is create your own fish pond or your own pond or your own self concept. And the person who can control the context is, is the one in control. So you can co- control the context of your life, but when you start getting in with a business where other people are controlling the context. Mm it's not going to necessarily bring you happiness. In fact, it, it, controlling your own context and setting your, your uh, space to be one of a service and then understanding leverage, money's, money is never an issue, really. Truth, you can make as much money. I mean, money is, money is pretty easy. You mentioned that you, you, know, you sort of, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the keys is to, keep it, to stay in motion and you sort of feel... Um, your way forward and allow the procession to happen. Have you, has that led yes. you into dark places at some points or, or you know, directions where you went, oops, I went the wrong way here? I'd like to say yes, but it's absolutely no. What is, happens is that your body will tell you right away, if it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel like you're moving the right way, you just change directions. And so I don't think it ever gets very dark. It might get a little gray, or, you know, but it yeah. never gets dark. I understand. You, just, you know, you don't walk in a straight line. You make a mistake first to the right and to the left. There are no straight lines in the universe. So you're going to make mistakes right and left. And, you know, it's not right foot, wrong foot. Mm. It's right foot, left foot. And so that 
you're going to make lots of mistakes. And the mistakes, you know, are much more reliable than successes. And so when you make a mistake, you, you get closer to where you're headed. And it's those insights that allow you to get to wherever you want to go. So the idea is to get started, know that there are no straight lines. You're going to make lots of mistakes. In fact, mistakes are, are critical as you move forward. And as soon as you learn what you made, the lesson of that first mistake, you won't make that one again usually. And so it's, it's really a fun thing. You just get started. You know, anything worth doing is worth doing wrong, at least for a little while, until you figure it out. <laughs> well, it's, it's true. They've never found a straight line in the universe. That's right. It's always yeah. wave. So if, there, if it's a wave, you can't be always on target. You're going to be right, left, right, left, right, left. And as long as you're going to be service of others, I mean, uh, the people that are really going to be happy, really happy, are those who've been of service to others. And they could be wealthy if they want, or they cannot have to be wealthy. I mean, Albert Schweitzer said, I don't know of those of you who are going on what path you're going on, but those of you that seek this path of service are the ones that are truly going to be happy. Mm. And whether you do it with wealth from, um, money's fine. I, you know, I have more than enough money. I can do anything I want. And, but this has really nothing to do really with, uh, my happiness. My happiness is to see people, I don't know, light up and move in the direction that that makes them happy. And and if they want to make a lot of money, we can show them how to make a lot of money. That's not a difficult. Money is ten times easier now with the internet than it was, you know, when I was young. Mm. You know, the world is converging now. So if you're not cooperating, you're you're really on the wrong, wrong, wrong path. And and so everything you take my courses, I want people to take it and use it and play the games and almost everything I do is a game and it's experiential. You get to play and make lots and lots of mistakes, but you make them in the room and hopefully you'll get the lesson and not make them out in the real world. You've, uh, you've had an amazing career, you know, in and out of the classroom, teaching, writing, uh, in business and, and your point before about money and, uh, not creating fulfillment, I guess is another description and that the happiness comes from, from the service to others or co- contribution to others, which is certainly something Stuart and I feel very strongly about. Uh, what would you say would be your highlight? Well, there's a, there's a Japanese, uh, quotation that says that, those who take a meaningful, which you, which I take to I mean value-added uh, career of a hundred miles, takes a you know that when they're at the ninetieth mile, they're only halfway. Mm-hmm. And, and and so I don't know what the most meaningful is, and I'm going to let history decide that. Um, I've had you know just an amazing amount of opportunities to uh, share this information, see companies, and see people transform and uh, and grow and become multi 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 millionaires. And also be at the same time fully at service, hmm. but you can you know you've got to learn that there's a lot more going on than just being of service. You can be of service, but if you don't have the proper leverage, I mean, a, a teacher doesn't make a lot of money. They add a lot of value, but they don't make a lot of money because they don't have the ability to leverage unless they write a book or do something special. So you know, same thing with somebody who massages somebody or any anything like that. Doctors don't are not there. I don't know any doctors that are billionaires. Because they well they can make a good living, um, there's no very difficult for a doctor to leverage themselves. They can leverage their information, mm. and when they do that, you know. So leverage is a key. My son's done a couple of very successful movies, and 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 has a lot of money from him. But you know, I'm not sure that those other than entertainment value really add that much value to the to, to the world. Uh, although he's young, and then that's what he's doing, and mm. 
you know, we'll see where he goes. But right now, you know, he did a movie called Dodgeball. I don't know if you ever heard of it. He wrote yeah. and directed it, and he <laughs> just did a new one. So, if you had to sum up for the listeners at home, uh, you've you know you you're uh, the information that you've learned through through uh, you know a, a lifetime to date of study and and uh, making mistakes and willingness to fail to to self correct as you've so nicely put it. What would be the gold nugget? Well, it's not experience. People think experience is the best teacher. And, and when I met with Deming the very first time, he asked me that question, how important is experience to learning? And, of course, I grew up with the aphorism that my dad said, experience is the best teacher. It should be. It's the most expensive. <laughs> Deming looked at me and he screamed at me. And basically, that's what he did most of my time with him. And he said, nonsense. If, if experience is such a great teacher, how come Americans aren't making the best automobiles? They've had the most experience. No, has nothing to do with experience, but really is you've got to first understand the right theory. And if you don't have the right theory, no matter how hard you work, you're not going to get there. So the courses I teach will give you games to play, but it also provide you with the theories that I've found to be very predictable and very successful. So I say the importance of theory is that the, the, and, and understanding that experience is really a minor component of it. And without the right theory, you can work your tail off and not be successful. Can we just talk about that a little bit, Marshall? Um, experiential learning is something that not a lot of people have had exposure to. Um, wh- why does it work? What's, what's, what's great about it? best I can say to you is that it's all based on the idea of stable datum. Right. If I, talk to you about a, if I talk to you about a movie that you have never seen and I talk to you about different scenes and you haven't seen it, it doesn't have much to talk about because you don't know what I'm talking about, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. So, but if I provide you with games and simulations and then watch how you played those games, everyone in the room has played the game. So you have stable datum or common ground from which you can now derive and understand what the theories are and, and, and the predictions that could be made from it. So that basically the game set up common experience so that everyone in the room has the same rules. Everyone in the room plays it their own way. And then when I go ahead and explain what's going on and the principles behind it, I don't have to worry because everybody's had that common, what I call stable datum, and it allows for the dialogue to be much more sophisticated and much more refined than if I'm talking about something that some people don't understand and some don't. So that's, I think, the primary uh, reasons you have games and simulation is that you create that stable datum, and the learning comes from their association with how they played it, how they related to the game, in the perspective that I provide. And then, of course, they take that and apply it outside in, in, in life or in business when they, when they leave. Yeah. Yes, they can then extrapolate into their own life. And once they learn these basic principles, they can still go back to, you know, to what they learned in the course. If I give you the theory, see, you can then use it in every situation that, you, that, that a theory applies. If I give you an example... You're copying the example, and it doesn't give you the ability to move forward. It doesn't give you the ability to play the theory. The theory is going to be much more, much stronger and much longer. So you can take the theory and use it wherever. I say, look, you're playing that over there. You're shooting from 20 feet. Mm. You'll know what that theory is if you're taking my, my programs. So speaking about your programs, you're going to be bringing some, some of them to Australia in May. Uh, could you tell the listeners a little bit more about uh, what what you're offering in in the course and and uh, and so on? 
I have one is called Business and You, so you really get to understand the business theories. If you want to make millions of dollars, that's the course for you. It's very intense, and it requires what um, it requires you to play full tilt, one hundred percent. It's designed to give you not only the interest in the theory, but also it's transformational. And there's the game called the Hydra game, H Y D R A. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Greek mythology, but you know the Hydra was when you cut one head off, it grows two. You don't go back to being resilient. Resilient gets you back to where you were. And this is all based on the theory of, uh, maybe you've heard of post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yes. But, but the other side of that is post-traumatic growth syndrome, which is actually a more well-documented and stronger thing is the post-traumatic growth syndrome. So what you have to do is stress your system, lose one of your heads in the process, and you'll go back to, and you're going to be not resilient. You're going to be basically what I, what I call, you're, you're going to be hydra, which is you're, you're beyond, you're growing way beyond uh, where you were. And most successful people that I know have done that over and over again. Every time they do it, now there's some key elements. One is you've got to be 100% responsible, no victims. So you have to play from learning as much as you can. And, and so there's a bunch of ground rules, not a bunch, there's like 12. And these are the context. And if you hold that context and go for it, you're not going to go back to being resilient. What you're going to learn is how to be Hydra. Go Hydra. So this game you play is an intense game. It's called the Hydra Experience, and it's really, I think, the the ultimate best game that's played in the business and you course. It's, it's really quite remarkable, and I've got a number of letters, I mean, on a regular basis. I'd say I probably get four or five a week where people determine their life before and after that game. You really, It's really up to you to hold the space of learning and, and go Hydra. And, and not try to get resilience is the, is the movie price. You know, there's a, it's a lot of books on resilience, not many books on hydro or post-traumatic growth. I love it. So it's really going down the lines of perturbation or uh, that, you know, you're put, putting yourself under that, yep. that, that post-traumatic you're saying, but whatever the stress, cause of stress is, to then leverage you into the new you, in this case one with two heads or or one with expansive capacity. Exactly. Um, you know, Prigogine is one of my favorite people. I mean, he was brilliant in theory, dissipative structures as part of an integral part of, of what I deliver. That sounds fantastic. Well, look, we'll get some more information for the listeners uh, on how they can attend that course and and uh, and come along and, and check it out. I think that's about all we've got time for um, on this call, but thank you so much, Marshall, for, for, for coming on the call and sharing with the listeners. And, uh, and of course, we'll have a, a little bit more of a chat after this call, and the listeners can come on to makeabigtraining.com to access more information on this. Stewie, have you got anything you'd like to add as we wrap it up? Oh, look, it's been a, a pleasure, Marshall. It, it truly has. Um, really, really wonderful to be on the call and to, uh, to be able to ask you some questions. And I hope and I know that the listeners will all really uh, get a lot out of what you've talked about thank you absolutely and listeners uh marshall will be in australia in the middle of may and we'll have further details on that and uh and how you can get along to hear marshall talk marshall thanks for being on the show hey thank you my pleasure if there's anything more you'd like just get a hold of me i'm very willing to work with you on anything that makes uh, it sounds like you guys are adding lots of value Thank you so much. And for all of you at home, in the car, wherever you are, thanks for joining us. Uh, We hope that the insights provided by Marshall will help you on your journey. Don't forget to uh, visit makeabigtraining.com to access more information from Marshall. Leave a comment and access a whole bunch of resources designed specifically to help you make it big in life, career and business.
This has been Careers Unplugged with Rich and Stu. Careers Unplugged, proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program, helping you succeed in life, career and business. Hi, Damien Christoph from The Wellness Guys here. It is on! The Wellness Summit returns to Melbourne in August. You asked for more and we listened. This year's Wellness Summit is not one, but two days of powerhouse wellness filled with your favourite wellness couch hosts, including The Wellness Guys and the Up For A Chat Girls and a very special guest. What's even more special is our crazy early bird two-for-one special offer. But... These seats are strictly limited to 150 seats and you must sign up to be a member of the couch by no later than midnight on Sunday, April 27, Eastern Australian Standard Time. Membership is free by signing up at www.thewellnesscouch.com. Don't miss out on half-price tickets to the summit. Register your name and email at www.thewellnesscouch.com and we'll see you in Melbourne to climb the Wellness Summit. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.